Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. How do we get more young people in the skilled trades? City Housing Hamilton is a new CEO. Racism and discrimination hitting the real estate sector. We'll tell you about a Ukrainian-Canadian Congress Hamilton branch fundraiser. There's a new music track that's going to help you save money, believe it or not. And what is the greatest TV show of all time? We'll tell you. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Across the country, we have a shortage of skilled tradespeople. It's one of the contributing factors to the housing crunch. Yeah, we, we'd love to build a bunch of new houses. We don't really have enough people to do so. And when some of those houses or fixtures, plumbing problems... Uh, whatever the case is, when something goes wrong in a home or a business, you, you got to call a plumber or a furnace technician or whatever the case is. And, well, because there's so few of them, you have to wait for these individuals. There are growing calls pretty much by the day for more action to be taken to encourage more young people to seek a career in the skilled trades. Now, some are doing so, but clearly not enough. Mujan Asani is a Ph.D. candidate in the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University and has written about this online in The Conversation. You can check it out at theconversation.com. And uh, Mujan joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? I'm I'm fantastic. We have, uh, as you know, a shortage of skilled tradespeople. You've written about it. It impacts virtually everyone from homeowners to businesses are, are we in a crisis or are we heading towards one? Um, I think we are in a mini crisis, definitely heading toward a bigger, bigger issue for sure. I think um, a little mini crisis that was, I think, felt by a lot of people during COVID when they were at home and ready to get a lot of stuff done. And it took several weeks to get whatever it was, whether it was the plumber, the construction or, you know, carpentry, whatever it was. I think we really felt uh, that little bit of crisis during that moment, and we're just poised to get worse unless we do something. How did we get to this point? Yeah, I think there's a lot of contributing factors that led to this uh, labor shortage, and specifically in the skilled trades. I think when we talk about what may have led here, there's a couple things to think about. The first that really always comes to mind is uh, the stigma around skilled trades. And for so long in the education sphere, university has been advertised and discussed as that top tier and um, first line for students graduating. And so as a result, you're seeing less less kids and graduates going into these skilled trades. And this is often based on you know information that's just not true, right? So in a skilled trade, you can have a very successful career, you can be your own boss, you can be an entrepreneur, you can make more money than some of the professional careers. So that kind of rhetoric and even I should say lack of um, awareness across it could be within the school, your peer group, your parents um, has discouraged some kids from going into the skilled trade or just the perception of what a skilled trade is, is it necessarily accurate? Yeah, many of those skilled trade careers can can end up with six-figure salaries, which is definitely nothing to sneeze at. Mujan Nasani is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Mujan is a Ph.D. candidate in the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University and has written a great piece about solving the skilled trades worker gap uh, online at theconversation.com. The 
the biggest gap to me is how do we get more youth interested in skilled trades? There might be programs out there, and we're seeing more and more of them pop up, but how do we get young kids interested in picking up these tools to get into this career? Yes, absolutely. So one of the things that I did look at is there there's a program in Ontario called Tools of the Trades Boot Camp, and they're run through Support Ontario Youth, um, a nonprofit in Ontario, and they really center around eliminating these barriers to getting youth and individuals into the skilled trades. And one of the ways they do that is they run a workshop, uh, or should I say a boot camp. And in this boot camp, you know, they provide individuals with two different um, skill sets, one being resume building and discussing the industry and how to sell yourself and get into the position, but also an aspect where you get to do some hands-on learning and they have an industry expert there to run students and individuals through these tasks where they get to see what it would be like to be in a skilled trade um, and to do and work with their hands. What are some of the things they need to know? And then they get a chance to meet with employers, have some informal networking and learn what about that career, whether it's something they're interested in. And as well, they get um, a really nice tool kit to go home with because skilled trades are unique and that they're some of the jobs where you actually enter the job and have to bring your own toolkit, which is one of the biggest barriers. You don't appear on the job and they give you the tools <laughs> often. So programs like this exist where we're trying to get individuals to get a snapshot of what it's like life for someone in the skilled trades and give them that exposure as early as possible so that it's an option when they're going to decide what they want to do. Absolutely. We have about 90 seconds. Are schools, businesses, and governments, i.e. the Ministry of Labor, are they doing enough to to fill the bucket that we need here? I think um, there's always more to be done. I think schools can do their part, uh, increasing awareness, discussing these options. The government has been investing through their skills development fund. We just saw recently another $90 million going into that fund. So I think these are all good starts, and I think as a collective, all of them need to come together to just put more programs, more awareness, and more knowledge for all um, about the skilled trades and the importance of the skilled trades. It is a an important part of uh, our society and our workforce, that is for sure. Mujan, thanks for joining us today, and uh, best of luck going forward. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. That's Mijan Nassani, Ph.D. candidate in the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. He's written a really excellent piece in theconversation.com. Uh, the headline, Canada needs to encourage more youths to pursue skilled trade jobs. And that is absolutely 100% true. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. There is a new boss at City Housing Hamilton. Yeah, amid the... Housing affordability crunch, the rental crisis we're seeing in town. City Housing Hamilton has a new chief executive. His name is Adam Swedland, and he joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Adam, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. Thank you so much for inviting me here. Hey, uh, congrats on the new post. What is it about this job that appeals to you? Well, uh, thank you, first of all, for, for the well wishes. I, um, For me, you know, I've worked at City of Hamilton for a long time and worked in different capacities alongside City Housing Hamilton. So it's for me, it's, it's always held a special uh, place. And so there's some, uh, you know, intentionality for this. It's my community. I live here. I've been, um, you know, working in Toronto and other communities, but happy to come back and uh, 
bring my experiences to bear in my home community. Whenever an organization has a new person at the top, they want to put their stamp or their mark on, you know, the, the go forward process. What is your vision for city housing Hamilton going forward? Well, you know, I, I can say that I'm not coming in with a preconceived idea about how to correct problems with the um, organization. I'm, I'm here to listen to the team, to the board, help it, um, you know, be successful in delivering on its strategic plan. Um, that said, I, I, you know, I'm here to, uh, I'm hoping to focus on some areas that, uh, you know, around community safety and helping the um, organization move forward with its uh, repair plan for its, um, to, inc- you know, to uh, regenerate the existing stock. But in terms of, you know, major changes or, or um, you know, my stamp, so to speak, it's really about transitional leadership. This has been a, you know, the, the, the organization has been stable for a number of years. And I, I really hope to continue that uh, stability. In saying that, is there something at the top of the hit list that you want to correct or, or modify or improve going forward? Uh, I'm just, I'm very, like I said, I'm very interested in community safety. And I think that may be coming from my, my experience in the city of Toronto at Toronto Community Housing, where it's always top of mind. But um, tenants deserve to feel uh, safe in their communities. And it's certainly something that I've become very attuned to in Toronto and I'm looking forward to hearing from tenants at City Housing Hamilton and see how they feel in their communities and what we can do to uh, to improve that feeling if there's uh, concerns there. I, I have a sense that there are. I have heard from people in the past, so I'd really like to dig into that issue. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Adam Swedland, the incoming CEO of City Housing Hamilton. The uh, City Housing Hamilton wait list has been much publicized. It numbers into the uh, into the hundreds, if not into the thousands. Has the affordability aspect of housing in this city, um, what, what has been the impact on that waiting list? Well, I understand that the waiting list has you know, gone through some some different uh, ups and downs, but largely has increased incrementally year over year. Uh, the city housing Hamilton, in my view, has a has a uh, you know a, a very important role to play. They they house the largest population of of um, households looking for affordable housing. The you know the affordability crunch in Hamilton and in fact across the province has you know added to pressures on the wait list. But um, there's also you know the un the people who are not on the wait list who are looking for affordable housing. So there's there's those two sides to the coin. Uh, certainly, city housing has a role to play, and that comes from you know effective management, running ourselves efficiently, um, you know turning over units, making them available, things like that. Um, that's and then being of course a leader in terms of um, new development and uh, increasing the affordable housing options in Hamilton. How active do you want City Housing Hamilton to be in scoping out or searching out those new units or new complexes? Well, it, it's um, you know it's not as much whether I want it to be. I really want to follow the board's direction on this. But my feeling is that there are opportunities for um, some redevelopment plans. We I know that the City Housing Hamilton has. Uh, a regeneration plan in mind. It has some regeneration activities going on um, that mirror mirror uh, projects in Toronto, such as Lawrence Heights. Um, so the Jamesville project, Roxborough. I think those are opportunities that do need to be looked at um, in terms of increasing net units, in terms of you know operating aging stock in a more efficient way or replacing aging stock. Um, but I'm, I'm also a firm believer in balancing it with um, managing the core business in an efficient and effective way as well. 
talked about some of the big challenges that you're going to be facing. What about those big opportunities? What are some of the things that you can foresee down the road that is really going to help out uh, the affordable housing crisis in the city, the rental crisis that we're seeing, and, and how city housing is incorporated in that? So I think there are two. I mean, in terms of city housing, sort of the um, in terms of its stock and its its assets, uh, you know, it, it was successful in getting uh, an investment from the um, CMHC to repair um, and sustain um, its existing stock, which is going to be which is going to go a really far away in terms of um, increasing the ability for us to house people from the waitlist. But um, <clears throat> the role that it plays alongside other housing providers in, in Hamilton, the um, Hamilton is Home Initiative. There's so many great uh, players in the housing sector in Hamilton, so many innovative um, parties that I think City Housing Hamilton has uh, a role at that table and, ha- and will have um, an ability to really help that along. Uh, we have another minute with Adam Sweetland, the incoming CEO of City Housing Hamilton. Can Because there is, a unfortunately, a, a stigma around social housing, can City Housing Hamilton units or a complex, a building, whatever the case is, contribute to a vibrant community? And, and maybe are they already doing so in, in, in some aspects? Absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, there are stigmas attached to social housing. And part of the work that the ongoing work that I think all housing providers you know, struggle with is to overcome that. But you do that by focusing on the assets that you have within the community, the, the great people that are there. There's so many committed uh, tenants who you know, make these, these communities their home, um, who are active, who are, you know, who are vocal in terms of what they need and what they want. And, you know, the key to community is to listen to those tenants, to listen to those residents, and to, um, and to, and to support them, because they're, they're really the heart of what's happening in the community. So we need to really focus on those shining stars and build the community on, on, uh, on their ideas. Well, it sounds like there's a solid future in place at City Housing Hamilton, and Adam Swedland will be the guiding light in that, the incoming CEO. Adam, appreciate the time today, and good luck down the road. Thank you so much. That's Adam Swedland, the incoming CEO of City Housing Hamilton. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We know it's already extremely difficult to buy a home, to own a home in this city. We've seen prices go up over the last number of years, especially uh, at the onset of the pandemic, or at least as we started to get back into the groove in mid-2020, and it's been bonkers pretty much ever since. Well, you know, from from this summer to this fall, it has certainly settled down, but the last couple of years has been, it's been crazy trying to get a home. Now throw in racism and discrimination as hurdles or stumbling blocks. And you're probably thinking, what? Well, there's a new report from the Ontario Real Estate Association that shows racism and discrimination are factors in the home buying, home selling, and rental process. The Fighting for Fair Housing report found that more than one-third of real estate agents have experienced discrimination or racism, and 25% of BIPOC brokers say a client has refused to work with them because of their identity. Furthermore, 2 in 10 consumers say they've been treated unfairly because of their identity. Stacey Evoy is the president of the Ontario Real Estate Association and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Stacey, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Rick. Thank you for having me. I was just uh, you know, reflecting on the statistics from this 
Fighting for Fair Housing report that shows a third of realtors have experienced discrimination or racism. 25% of BIPOC brokers say a client has refused to work with them because of their identity. And even uh, 2 in 10 consumers, 20% say they've been treated unfairly because of their identity. Were these numbers you were expecting to see? No, Rick, the numbers were shocking. The stories were shocking. Um, You know, it was hard to believe in Ontario, in Canada, uh, that these barriers and uh, this racism and discrimination uh, still exist. Um, People would tell stories about um, having great conversations uh, with a landlord, for example, uh, passing uh, their credit application with flying colours. And then showing up to see a rental property, for example, with their same-sex spouse, and then uh, being told by the landlord, for example, uh, that the the rental property had already been rented earlier that day. Um, and there were lots of uh, stories um, like that. You know, uh, you put in an application, and because of your last name, instead of uh, being asked uh, for first and last month's rent, Uh, Instead, you're being asked to prepay uh, rent for a year, which has really been unheard of in Ontario. I would imagine that this has been an issue for years, but has it boiled over with the heightened awareness to try to get into the housing market? Well, I can only speak for us, Rick, and I'm sure it has been around for years. Um, But what happened, uh, at least at our association, is a few years ago when the world uh, upended and um, during the pandemic, uh, lots of uh, these types of stories of racism and discrimination uh, were coming to mainstream media. And at ARIA, we struck a task force called the President's Advisory Group. And uh, it was a group of 12 hardworking individuals who um, worked alongside Ipsos to conduct uh, research uh, in this um, in this space to see uh, if uh, and it, to what degree these uh, challenges uh, existed. And uh, what we ended up finding out from that is, uh, without data, there is no problem. Uh, so uh, when we started uncovering the data, obviously a lot of the problems were coming to light. And um, this is us now trying to educate and put some of this into action through our recommendations. We're talking about racism and discrimination in home buying, home selling, the rental process with Stacey Evoy, the president of the Ontario Real Estate Association, which commissioned a report called Fighting for Fair Housing. And one part of this is a series of recommendations that your association is making to to change things. So, um, Rick, yes, we do have uh, recommendations. Uh, The first one is a review of the Ontario Residential Tenancies Act. Uh, It hasn't been uh, looked at or reviewed since 2006. A landlord shouldn't be allowed to discriminate against a potential renter on the basis of their name or skin color. We recommend a full review of the uh, Residential Tenancies Act as a starting point to ensure that the rules governing landlords and renter are fair and equitable. And also in reducing government-imposed costs on new rental projects, including duplexes, triplexes, and walk-ups. Development charges uh, impose um, fees on builders that drive up the price of housing, and those costs are transferred to buyers. 
Those are great recommendations, and hopefully we can get to a better place in the not-too-distant future. Stacy, appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Rick. Have a wonderful day. You too. Stacey Evoy is the president of the Ontario Real Estate Association. Some of the other findings of this Fighting for Fair Housing report shows that 16% of consumers face challenges in the mortgage process due to their race, ethnicity, gender identity, or sexual orientation. And 43% of realtors who were surveyed say they've seen a rental deal fall through because of discrimination. You can find out more by just Googling Ontario Real Estate Association or the Fighting for Fair Housing Report. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Big events coming up tomorrow night as well as the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress Hamilton branch is holding a fundraiser at the Westdale Theatre. And it includes the Hamilton premiere screening of the documentary Mariupol Unlost Hope. The doors open at 6 tomorrow. The show begins at 7. Tickets are $20, and you can get yours online at www.thewestdale.ca. Here to talk about it is Mary Holatic, the VP of the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress Hamilton branch. Mary, welcome back to the show. How are you? Good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. Tell us about this documentary. Well, the, the documentary was produced by um, a group uh, of producers from Ukraine who uh, decided to uh, interview people um, uh, who survived, uh, who managed to survive uh, the um, the Russian invasion in uh, Mariupol. Uh, so they, um, th- there is about five people who are interviewed, and they speak of their. Um, you know, of what happened uh, when the invasion there started and uh, um, how they escaped and their emotions and, you know, the, the trauma of, of all of that. Um, so it's uh, narrated in English um, and uh, quite easy to follow. And it's it's not, um, um, how shall I say it? Um, it's a, a film that uh, just speaks about their emotion, but it doesn't show a great, uh, um, you know, <clears throat> horrible imagery and that kind of thing. This uh, film is, or this documentary is premiering in Hamilton due to the similarities with Mariupol. And in fact, some of the survivors have come to Hamilton. Um, I don't know if some of the survivors, well, yes, some of the survivors, not this particular group, I don't right. think, but yeah. some survivors have uh, moved here because um, they've researched uh, places that were similar to uh, Mariupol and the, you know, the coastal region, steel industry, population, um, and the feel of the city. So yes, yes, and uh, we have a we have a few families from there here. That's for sure. How are they doing? Uh, not bad. Not bad. They 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 feel very comforted in this city. Believe it or not, you know they they uh, they like the location and they they like the feel of the city. So that that is, that is a good thing. Mary Halatik is the vice president of the Ukrainian Canadian Congress Hamilton branch. There is a uh, fundraiser being planned for tomorrow night at the Westdale Theater, in which you'll be able to see the Hamilton premiere screening of the documentary Mariupol Unlost Hope. Tickets are twenty dollars. You can get them online at thewestdale.c. The show begins at 7, doors open at 6. What are your thoughts of this documentary? What, what sticks out to you? Well, it just sticks out. What, what sticks out to me is the, the emotion, um, you know, and the, the, the way that uh, people can speak about 
about it because if you can imagine, uh, you know, your city being uh, bombed, uh, literally, totally destruct, uh, destroyed, um, and and you know they can speak about it. So um, that that's what struck that's what struck me the most. Is it tough to watch? Is it inspiring? What are some of the emotions that you felt? Um, well, it's it's tragic. Uh, it's it's tragic for sure. Um, but they they have they speak with hope in their in their hearts. Um, so I guess that that is what I what I was left with. Um, anyway. Now, this is a fundraiser. Again, tickets are $20 at thewestdale.ca. What is the money going to be used for? Well, we, we have a, um, a humanitarian fund set up to help people um, who are coming from Ukraine, newcomers, uh, you know, with, uh, it, we can't provide them with everything, but with with expenses to get started sometimes, or uh, if, if they need uh, a month's rent or um, you know, uh, some kind of uh, assistance uh, financially, so that, that we've set up a, a fund for that. Are, are they are they finding uh, life a little bit easier now that they're in Hamilton? They're in Canada. Yes, uh, well, physically, yes, yeah. uh, they feel safe here, and uh, the community has uh, really opened their their hearts uh, to to these people, and. Um, you know they they can uh, you know they feel comfortable and, and jobs are being offered and uh, um, many have settled in uh, you know into uh, apartments and homes of their own and uh, found jobs found work so uh, it, it's very promising. That's great to hear and it's great to see that Hamilton has stepped up once again in this time of need. Mary, really appreciate the time. Good luck with the uh, documentary being shown tomorrow and the fundraiser as a whole. Thank you so much, Rick. Thank you so much for your support. That's Mary. You got it. That's Mary Halatic, Vice President, Ukrainian Canadian Congress Hamilton Branch, the director of this documentary, Mariupol Unlost Hope, says this film is a true story of peaceful people inside the war. They tell what they saw, how they felt, and what happens to them. Imagine the systemic destruction of a city of over 500,000 people. That's, That's basically Hamilton. I mean, just picture that and kind of feel that. Uh, very, very tragic. Uh, net proceeds will be donated to the uh, Ukrainian-Canadian Congress Hamilton Humanitarian Fund. Again, thewestdale.ca, $20 for tickets. The show starts tomorrow night at 7. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. You've seen the sticker shock at grocery stores. You've been to shopping malls. You're getting ready, perhaps, for Christmas shopping. Thanksgiving is just down the road. You're probably going to buy some stuff to celebrate that holiday. In, in thinking of that and inflation and, and, and the rising cost of living, will this song make you save money while shopping? kind of catchy it's all right well new research says that that song that soundtrack that music track will in fact make you a little more mindful of your spending it's all in an interact research initiative uh, it has launched sound shopping music track to promote that mindful spending at a time of financial anxiety 
And shoppers, and this is just one example, shoppers age 25 to 34, these are big spenders, spent 38% less while listening to this sound shopping music track. Natter Hennen is the Assistant Vice President, Digital and Retail Commerce Products with Interact and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Natter, good morning. How are you today? Good morning, Greg. I'm good. Thank hey, you. How are you doing? I'm great. Number one, doesn't Interact want us to shop more and not less? Uh, no, it's not about that. Interact here is kind of like uh, commissioned the survey uh, to kind of like really try to understand uh, where Canadians are heading. So let's kind of like, it is important to remember that, you know, with the suddenly inflation and rising interest rates adding its pressure on households, Canadians are feeling pressured and squeezed financially. So we found that two-thirds are practicing intentional spending where they make purposeful purchasing decisions that help them meet their day-to-day expenses and live up to their financial goals and personal values. So in, so in saying that, how was this music track developed and how does it make you be more mindful of what you spend your money on? Okay, uh, let's take a step back for a second here, right? It is important to remember that Maintaining control of our spending is key today, especially as we continue to see a trend of rising retail transactions. So according to our research, Canadians are looking for support in maintaining the good intentional spending habits and behaviors that was established during the pandemic era. Also, our data surveys showed that 6 to 10 shoppers want tools which encourage this intentional spending, and this tool it's supposed to help in this kind of like intentional spending behavior. Where can people get this music track? They can go to intrack.ca and they will be able to access this uh, music track. Now, because people of different ages have different musical tastes, does this work the same for younger shoppers as it does with older shoppers? Um, you know, as shoppers, I would say turn to debit and take more control on their money. Interact out of kind of like its historical responsibility has looked for creative tools and techniques to help Canadians spend more mindfully. So, as you mentioned, we are proud to launch the Sound uh, Shopping, which is a, the music track that provides the backdrop to the shopping experience. And since music has traditionally been using, using the music to fill purchasing in retail, and Interact wanted really to experiment a way to have a, a positive impact and add pleasure to the shopping experience. So according to our research study, where the group of people listened to the sound shopping, uh, made them feel three times as likely to feel calm when compared to popular music with approximately 98% satisfaction rate. That's a pretty high number. Nader, we'll have to leave it there as we're out of time. I really appreciate your time today. Thanks, Rick. Have a great day. You too. Natter Hennen is an assistant vice president, digital and retail commerce products with Interact, as we've been talking about this sound shopping music track that promotes mindful spending. I guess it makes you pay a little more attention to the money that you're spending out. Hey, vote in our Twitter poll question of the day today at AM 900 CHML. Want to get your thoughts on this. Have you ever allowed an election sign to be placed on your lawn? Yes or no? Right now, 58.5% say no. 41.5% say yes. We're seeing a lot more election signs out there, and I'm sure more to come. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
What is the greatest TV show of all time? What's at the top of your list? Everyone who's watched TV has an opinion of this. Well, Rolling Stone has released a list of the top 100 TV shows of all time. They asked actors, creators, producers, writers what their thoughts were, and they compiled all the info, and lo and behold, they have this top 100 list. Here to dissect some of the highs and lows is Bill Brio, television critic and author. You can find out more online at brio.tv. Bill, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm fine, Rick. Thanks for having me back. Before we talk about number one or even the top ten, did any shows listed in the top 100 make you think, boy, that should be higher, or man, that should be lower? Oh, absolutely. And that, that's the fun of these lists, is everyone has their own list in their head, and so when you see them come out, you're always like, oh, come on, wait, what, SCTV number 70? No, that should be in the top 30, and, uh, you know, girls, number 65? Get that out of there altogether. And, you know, so it's, sure, that's the fun of it. We, we disagree with it. There are some uh, many groundbreaking shows on this list. I Love Lucy, Hill Street Blues, uh, the list goes on and on. The Office, both uh, you know UK and American versions. Yeah. In, in saying that, was there a show perhaps that was left off this list that you would put in? Oh, absolutely. On my list, I would absolutely have um, the Smothers Brothers. You know, and and, and it, basically all this comes down to when were you born and what was the show that you first fell in love with or made you think or feel and you know i remember being a kid and and watching that with my parents and just realizing that this was different and it was a show that was not directed so much to adults it was it was for everybody and uh so that's one that i think is missing but there's a lot of new shows you know i really like ricky gervais's afterlife and uh i'd have that on the list and even only murders in the building you know, uh, with Barton Short and uh, Steve Barton, I love that. I think I'd have that up there, too. Yeah, two great shows that were not on the list. You mentioned SCTV, and this is where, you know, these lists really get fun when you're debating with family or friends, is that you start comparing it with others who are close to it on the list. And SCTV, you mentioned at number 70, just below Chappelle Show, just below Faulty Towers, just below NYPD Blue. And if you're a huge fan of SCTV, you're probably thinking, wow, I would have put... That show in front of all these other ones I just mentioned. Yeah, although those shows you just mentioned, that's pretty good company. You know, I think Faulty Towers is hilarious. But that's a show, Faulty Towers, that, and, and another one, uh, you know, that there's, there's a couple of shows on here that only have really 12 episodes altogether. And um, yeah, Fleabag is at number five. I love Fleabag. I think it's brilliant. But it's, it's, it's a bit odd to be judging a show like The Simpsons, which has had 700 episodes, against a show that said 12. So you kind of have to do the math and go, with the 12 best Simpsons episodes, how would they stack up against, say, Fleabag or Faulty Towers? And look at it that way, I guess. Is there a show that's listed at least in the top 10? Because when we're getting into this category, we're thinking, well, these are the 10 best shows ever. Is there a show in that top 10 that just does not deserve to be in there? Uh, you know, it's, it's a, I can't quibble much with the top you, number one, of course, is The Sopranos. Uh, Breaking Bad's a brilliant show. The Wire is brilliant. Seinfeld, yeah. Mad Men, Cheers. So um, Atlanta, number nine, it's very good. Um, the last season wasn't as good as the first two. Uh, so, you know, that's the advantage of a show like Fleabag. Um, 
the creator of that series, she never made a bad episode or a bad season because she only made six or <laughs> 12 altogether. So, you know, that's when the comparisons start to weigh in and you wonder, is it apples and oranges? Yeah, the one for me, Atlanta in the top 10, I think I would have nudged it out. There's so many great yeah. shows I would probably put in there. I mean, really great show, but I'm not sure if it's in my top 10. You mentioned number one, The Sopranos. This should probably be no surprise, although some people might put Breaking Bad there. Some people might put The Wire. Some people might put Seinfeld. You're absolutely right. That's that's a great debate. Um, the guy who mainly compiled the list at Rolling Stone, Alan Sepinwall, he started out at that same New Jersey newspaper that Tony Soprano used to pick up at the end of his driveway on every episode. <laughs> so, so and, and Alan's written about two or three books on The Sopranos. But you know, having said all that, he's right. It is the greatest TV show of all time. I, if you, a lot of people were started rewatching TV shows during the pandemic. I started rewatching some of that, and boy, it holds up. It's pretty brilliant. Another one I rewatched, we watched here, was Frasier. We watched mm. every episode. Very, very uh, great the, the cast and, and the writing, and it, 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 it still sizzles. Uh, I would have had that higher than uh, they have that way, way uh, down compared to Cheers, the show that created that character. Uh, I think it deserves to be in the top 20, please, Frazier. You mentioned standing the test of time, and we got to run here, but Mary Tyler Moore is the only one in the top 10 that is pre-1980. Uh, you talk about groundbreaking, entertaining, funny. Uh, it it had everything, and it has certainly stood the test of time. Bill, we'll have to leave it there. Appreciate your time today, and thanks for joining us to talk about this top 100 list. My pleasure, Rick. Bill Brio, television critic and author. Find out more online at brio.tv. That's B-R-I-O-U-X dot T-V. Yeah, top ten. Mary Tyler Moore, Atlanta at nine, Cheers eight, Mad Men, Seinfeld, Fleabag at five, The Wire at four, Breaking Bad, The Simpsons, and The Sopranos. Your top ten. Among the top 100 from Rolling Stone. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.